0: i I wasn't intimidated until that moment <laughs> that he started talking about me well wow, that's very generous and uh very kind i I have loved watching um God just raise up men and women all all around um around me and rob's well and th- even before I got to know Rob I got to know Ronnie right and just the thing that uh has so impressed me with those guys is their teachable spirit right like coming in, even though they bring a lot to the table, the thing that's pronounced about them is what they want to learn, It's what they want to gain. And that teachability, I mean, that's, that is the definition of disciple. A disciple is a follower, a learner. And uh, the fact that you have some men and women here who are leading out by learning, leading out by following, that's what a great recipe for, for leadership in God's church. So pretty awesome. Um, really glad to be here. Um, Got a little thing going here, so hopefully it won't be distracting, hopefully it won't get into a coughing fit. I'll be joined by like 80% of the rest of you who are all, I hear the, <coughs> you know, all over, so uh, we'll try not to infect each other with whatever, you know, brand we have of whatever's going around, but um, really glad to be here, you guys. I, I did spend a lot of time, a couple decades actually, a little more than that, in Ames, Iowa, but Teresa and I have just moved to Iowa City to be part of Veritas Church, and so we're on a whole new adventure ourselves and pretty excited about that and what's going on down there. And as, as newer churches go, they've got their series of problems. And, and so even this morning, the, the staff text was about, they closed down one of the exits that virtually two thirds of the people need in order to get to Veritas this morning. They're like, oops, that's going to hurt. You know. And we're like, I, I don't know what you do about that. You can't call the DOT and say, open it up for church. You know? So anyway, got our problems. But but guys, when I saw the text that we're going to be looking at, um, you guys have been going through the book of of Luke. I want you to turn there with me. Um, I'm really eager to get into this text. I'm in Luke chapter 11. And when I got assigned this text, so weeks and weeks ago, Rob asked me to teach this text, last half of, of Luke 11. It was a little intimidating for me because... Man, there's a lot happier text in the Bible than what we're about to look at. This is where Jesus is really going to put the Pharisees in the crosshairs and just go after them. Really go after them harshly, pretty sternly. And I'm like, wow, bring in the guest guy to play bad cop, you know, and, and lay down the, the heavy stuff. But what I found, you guys, is over these last couple of weeks, is I've just been meditating on this text. Um, man, I've been texting back and forth with Rob just saying... Um, what God has done in my soul, I think this is maybe one of the most important texts of scripture that I have had to immerse myself in and and bathe myself in in a very long time. And I don't know if I'm gonna be able to convey to you like the spiritual weight that God has brought into my soul from this text. I hope that I'm able to draw you into that same learning channel that God has drawn me into. But I just want you to go in Maybe even just quietly in your hearts right now, like, wow, God, I don't know what's going on, but tune me in, like tune my ears to hear what you have, because I don't believe that it's uniquely just for me. I'm grateful it started with me. I don't believe it's supposed to end with me. I do believe that he's got a work to do in a lot of us uh, as we turn our attention here. I do want to say real quickly that you guys are going through Luke and, and you're, you're trying to do a, a fly of our Passover to get everybody really acquainted with Jesus and, and the way that he's presented the gospel of Luke, which means every now and then you're going to be skipping along. So if you were here last week, you heard Rob bring a text out of Luke 10, which was just phenomenal. Man, I listened to that and was so, so encouraged and so challenged um, by last week's message out of Luke 10. But now we're going to skip some pretty important stuff, like the Lord teaching his disciples how to pray and stuff like that. It's not because it's insignificant. It's just, you know, in order to give the sweep of the whole book, that's what you guys are doing. So go back this week and read some pretty incredible portions of scripture that you won't necessarily be covering on a given Sunday, but some really, really important stuff on the first end of Luke 11. But I want you to look when you get to um, chapter, chapter 11, verse 37. Look what, look what happens here. It says, as he was speaking, Jesus is, is having this teaching moment. As he's doing that, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So I want to hit pause because if I don't maybe frame this a little bit, you won't get the gravity of what's going on in this conversation that Jesus is about to have. So if you've been around the Bible for very long, you've, you've maybe thought up or conjured up this idea that the Pharisees are, in some ways, the, the quintessential bad guys in the life of Jesus. They're the ones that end up really pitting themselves against him and uh, eventually snuff him out. Like physically, they're the ones that, that fuel the, the rage to get the crucifixion done. Um, but I want you to know about the Pharisees that they didn't start off that way. Like generations before this point in time, the Pharisees were actually the Jewish people who were looking around at the cold heartedness of their fellow Israelites, the way that people were disregarding their Bibles. And the Pharisees were the guys who actually reclaimed allegiance to the Bible, really felt strongly that they needed to order their lives after the Bible and teach others to do so. So they had a huge positive impact on bringing revival to the people of God generations before this. But as time has gone, as generation has come and gone, by the time we get to the, the Pharisees as we see them now in the life of Jesus, it has really been reduced to this sect of leaders who have become almost like the, the Bible Nazis in a way. Like the heart to get their hearts right with God, the, the passion to know God through the Bible. That's long since passed a couple generations ago. And now they're like the spiritual police. They're just taking their Bibles, looking for every rule that could possibly be imposed on themselves and especially on everybody else, and they're just going with it. And more than that, they're taking the rules that God has laid down, and they're going further than that. They're going way past that and adding layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of rules and all this stuff, just cluttering real faith toward God. Um, They really believe themselves to be like the arbiter's of all things religious. Okay. The Pharisees believe themselves to be like at the the, the top of the pyramid. They're the ones that are the arbiters of all things religious. And they're going to tell you what to do and what not to do, especially. And I I just want to have a moment to say, I kind of get this. Okay. Um, I feel like I have some Pharisee tendencies in me and God's going to use this text to even bring that out more and more. But even when I first gave my life to Christ, so I gave my life to Christ as a a student at the university of Northern Iowa. And I remember it was like exhilarating to come to know Jesus and to come to know the gospel. But I soon got immersed also in the Christian subculture, right? Just all the stuff that kind of gets attached to Christianity that was all foreign to me. Like I didn't know anything about that until I'm 19 and give my life to Christ. And, uh, there were just a whole lot of rules. Like one of the things I knew right away is when you go to the dining hall, you're supposed to, if you're a Christian, you have to bow and pray before you put one bite of food in your mouth, right? And I was like, okay, like that's one of those rules. And so you look around and and you can tell all the Christians, because at the dining center, you know, you like take a moment to, to bow and pray. And then it went further. Like there's this certain list of kind of music that you can listen to. And there's certainly a kind of set of music that you cannot absolutely not listen to. I'm like, all right, you know, going through my pretty amazing set of LPs back in the day and figuring that out, you know. And, and then there's the lingo, you know, you gotta learn the, the verbiage and the secret handshakes and stuff. So, so you gotta learn, like, when somebody says, dude, I really got into the word during my devos, I, I had absolutely no idea what came out of that person's mouth, right? Like what word, which word were you getting into? I don't even know what that means. And devos, I mean, to me, devo is like one of those first, you know, techno punk rock bands back in the early eighties. And I didn't, none of it made sense. Okay. And you got to have those devos in the morning, by the way, you got to have devos in the morning. If you want to be really spiritual, don't you wait till at night. Cause you'll fall asleep. You got to do it in the morning. Anyway, so there's all, here's what I'm saying. A lot of those things were actually really good. It's always good to be thankful to God for meals. I still pray and thank God for my meals. It's always good, like read your Bible in the morning. All of those things start off good, right? But at some point, if you're not careful, they get reduced just to a set of rules that honestly, you can read your Bible all day long and not find that specific set of rules. That's just something we've done to help Christians along, but pretty soon you can get your focus on the rules and lose the heart behind them. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want you to imagine that we're just hundreds of miles away from the experience of the Pharisees. I think we're actually a lot closer to the experience of the Pharisees than, than we might imagine. So that's who he's about to have this encounter with. And I just need you to maybe be familiar with who these guys are. So as he was speaking, this Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in, reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw this, he was amazed that he, Jesus, the Pharisee sees Jesus reclining at the table, amazed that he did not first perform the ritual washing before dinner. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Okay, we're going to hit pause, and then we're just going to start going through what he says from here on out. But guys, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know the answer to this one, okay? What do you call someone who is one way on the outside and is something very different on the inside? A hypocrite, right? If there's somebody that seems to be one way out here, but inside is somebody totally different, we all know what that's like. It's hypocrisy what I need you to know is, is Jesus is just getting warmed up. Okay. That's just his opening line that we just looked at. And and if there's one maybe big idea to what I want you to, to grasp as we're going through this is if there is one thing that will get Jesus really riled up, it's hypocrisy. Okay. Like you, this isn't just in this text just keep going through this gospel and if there's one thing you're going to see this if there's one thing that really gets Jesus riled up it's going to be hypocrisy and just note notice one thing the pharisee actually didn't even say anything he was just thinking it right he didn't even say anything okay so now Jesus does have the distinct advantage of being god right so he did read his thoughts but even more than that even more than that you could just get the idea he probably had the look you know what i mean like You know, just that utter look of disgust, like disapproval at the hardest level. Like, I just remember one time, okay, this is clearly not in the notes. i got to get moving here. But but, uh, I remember I was a brand new believer, still trying to figure out the Christian subculture. But it was around Halloween time, I got invited to a toga party. Don't ask. It was this thing back in the 80s. Anyway, went to this toga party. But as, I don't know why, I wore a St. Christopher protectus. Medallion thing, anyway, there was a Christian thing going on later that night that I'd been invited to, and i 'm like dude i 'll totally go with you, but you 're going to have to come get me from the toga party, and then i 'll go with you to your Christian thing and uh, they're okay, so I 'm mean, dancing, having this toga party, and they come and get me you know? so i 'm like, oh sweet it 's time to go to the Christian thing so I go to the Christian thing, and I get and they 're going to watch a movie um, and <laughs> Oh, my word. Anyway, so we're at the Christian thing, and I'm sitting there in my toga. And uh, <laughs> which, just the absurdity of all this, as I think back, I'm like, oh, anyway, somebody give him the book on how to be a Christian. Didn't have that yet. So I'm sitting there in my toga in my St. Christopher protectus, and I turn around to talk to somebody, and the, and the gal behind me just goes, oh, why are you wearing that? In the most disdainful way. And I just remember being so confused, like, the toga? No, no. <laughs> what? That should have been what she was questioning. No, it was the St. Christopher protectors. Like apparently at that club, you don't wear those things, right? I'm just saying like, sometimes you wouldn't have even had to say that just to like, you know what I mean? That's what Jesus gets. No words. He's just, he's just given the, the look. So here's, what's going to go on. Jesus is now feeling the disdain, feeling the disapproval Naming hypocrisy as the deal, he's going to go on and give six. They're, they come out as woe, woe to you, woe to you. These woes and these six things. I think we need to dial into because he's going to define hypocrisy for us, and and I want you to see that. So so the first sign as he just zeroes in on this Pharisee who's just giving him the Pharisee look, verse ten. Fools. Okay, so right out of the gates, guys, just these are like the experts, right? But claiming to be so wise, Jesus just right away addresses him as a fool and all of, like it's a dinner party. So there's a bunch of them. The one guy invited him. There's a bunch of Pharisees, fools. Didn't he who made the outside make the inside too? but give from what is within to the poor, and then everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, you give a tenth of mint, root, and every kind of herb, and you bypass, you like get around, you jettison justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. Okay, I want you to look at verse 41, and some of you have different translations. I'm reading from the the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, if you're using an app, you might want to change over to that or whatever, but, but it's a hard one to translate so it looks a little different in different ones. It was confusing me. Thus, if you were looking at my Bible, you would see a little question mark in the side because that's what I do when I don't understand something. I put a little question mark, right? Give from what is within to the poor and everything is clean for you. I couldn't understand. I'm meditating this, pondering this, like, Lord, what, what are you trying to say in that? And then it dawns on me. What has he just been talking about, you guys? The, the context should drive this. He's talking about cups and dishes. Cups and dishes. What do you put in cups and dishes? Food, right? Food and drink. It's either porridge or food of some kind or drink to sustain your order of food and drink. Here's what he's saying. You guys are so worried about cleaning the inside or the outside of the cup. You know what you should be doing? Give from what is inside the cup to poor people. <laughs> That's what he's saying, right? Look, look what He says, didn't he make the outside, make the inside too? Give from what is within. Within what? The cup and dish. Give to the poor, and everything is clean for you. And then he goes on, right, in that woe in verse 42 to say, You are so busy counting out one out of every 10 grains of salt, one out of every 10 leaves of mint. One every You're so busy, and you're counting one, two, three. The cries of the poor, the hungry people right outside your door are coming up and into your ears. You can't even hear, shh, be quiet. I'm trying to tithe to God, right? So concerned about tithing, giving a tenth, that you can't even hear the cry. And he says, you know what? If you would just actually take the stuff in the cup and help and feed the hungry Stomachs of the poor people, you would actually be making the outside of the cup clean too because it's a beautiful thing before the eyes of God. But you're so busy cleaning outside stuff, you're neglecting, you're bypassing really beautiful things like justice and love for God. Isn't that interesting? He says justice and love for God as opposed to justice and love for the people, right? Why does he say it that way? Well, guys, go back. If you weren't here, go back and and listen to Rob's message from, from last week. Because every act of justice, every act of love given toward somebody else is actually attributed toward God, right? This is justice and love toward God to be loving and thinking about the poor. So the very first, like, absolute sign of hypocrisy, you guys, is a heartless indifference to the poor. I believe that with all my heart. I think that's what he's saying. The first way to know if you're a hypocrite is if you have complete, just heartless indifference to the poor. And so he's saying, here you are, you got me at this big dinner party, there's food galore, and you're worried about how I wash my hands. D- Do you know how many poor people I had to walk by to get to your big dinner party? And if you'd care about emptying your dish and giving out to the poor, maybe the outside would actually get cleaned up as well. So absolute sign of hypocrisy is just a heartless indifference to the poor. Okay, let's keep going. The second one is Honestly, an unquenchable need for attention. Look what he says in verse 43, this unquenchable need for attention. Woe to you Pharisees. You love the front seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces, man, you love that. And here it is again, it starts innocent at first, like at first you're a godly man, you're a godly woman. And so people notice that and they're like, wow, I can see the way you live your life. That's really cool. That's really good. But all of a sudden you kind of like that attention. You kind of like being noticed as that really godly person. And so suddenly a little toggle switch flips and you're not doing those acts toward God and it just happens to be that some people notice. Suddenly you flip that switch and you're doing things in order to be noticed and identified as a godly person. And so God kind of gets shoved to the back and it's actually the act itself that is more important than the one that you were attributing it to, right? And so I'm just saying the second thing out of his mouth is you have this just, this unquenchable need for attention. You just want more. And suddenly you're having to ask yourself, man, am I doing what I'm doing to honor God or to get the applause of people? So even go back to, again, last night we go out with Rob and Lisa. What do we do? We prayed before the meal. Why? Because we're thankful. We're thankful to God that he's provided for us. But are there those times that you're like, man, bunch of heathen around here. Everybody watch as I do this, you know, and just pray, you know, like, are are you ever just praying or doing any of your acts that at one point would have been attributed toward love for God, but instead are all of a sudden just to get, the oh man, what a godly man or woman you are kind of thing, right? Sure signs of hypocrisy, heartless indifference to the poor, unquenchable need for attention. Check out the next one. Woe to you, verse 44. You are like unmarked graves. The people who walk over them don't know it. Um, you, here's a, a scary one, okay? You actually do have everyone fooled. This is when you know you're really a hypocrite. You actually have people fooled. So the people walking over those graves didn't know they were walking over graves. If you were a good Israelite, you would know that to actually come into contact with a dead person was to make you ceremonially unclean. And so you wouldn't, you would have avoided walking over a grave. Even now, like in America, you don't, if you go to a cemetery, you don't walk over the graves. Like it's disrespectful. I'm just saying like people have no idea if they had known they wouldn't have walked over it. They're saying, he's saying people come into contact with you Pharisees. They have no idea. It's like a death trap. This is frightening stuff. They have no idea that they are encountering a death trap. You are full of death. That's what he's saying. You are pulling people in. And actually, when people follow you, they get into deeper levels of uncleanness. You just told me to wash my hands in a certain way. No, actually following your way, that's actually the way to full uncleanness. It's like walking over graves without knowing it. They are blindly following you and becoming more unclean as they do it. It's a scary thing, you guys, when you actually do have everyone fooled and people actually think they're on the right path when you're actually taking them further away from God. That's, that's, it's scary stuff that he's bringing to us. So here's the thing. The scribes end up jumping in here now in verse 45. One of the experts in the law, or some of your translations might have scribes. It's the same thing, just shorthand, scribe. One of the experts in the law answered him, teacher, when you say this thing, you insult us too. He's like, sweet. Then let me just sweep you into what I'm saying, right? Because it's like the Pharisees and the scribes were, were just like two different parties, but, but actually toward the same thing, both feeling themselves like the spiritual police, both in charge of everybody's spiritual journey, right? And so he's like, actually, I was talking to you. Very insightful of you. Let me just name you. Okay, so then he said, woe to you, experts in the law, verse uh, 46, you load people with burdens that are hard to carry, and yet you yourselves don't touch these burdens with one of your fingers. So another sure, absolute sign of hypocrisy you set incredibly high standards for people, but you make no effort to help them. You love setting standards for people and telling them what's what. You make no effort to actually help them get there. Does that sound like God? Does that sound like God to stand from afar off, set the bar super high, and then just stand back and watch them as they fail? No, guys, that's not the way God works at all. In fact, I was, I was thinking and meditating about that one. And it made me think of a a, a passage. I'll just read it for you back in Isaiah 40. um, Isaiah 40 says this in verse uh, 28. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. Now, listen to this is the description of this incredible God. Listen to what he says. He gives strength to the faint, he strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord, they actually renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not become weary. They'll walk and not faint. In other words, God looks down on our weakness, and he seeks to prop us up. He seeks to strengthen us. He sees we can't really fly, so he picks us up, right? That's the way of God. It's not just to lay on heavy burdens and then just watch and giggle as we stumble under them. And saying, Pharisees, you know what? You just love to lay this stuff on people. No, go over and get in the yoke with them. Lift it from their shoulders. Help them along. It's a hard thing to follow after God. It's a hard thing to reorient your life to follow Christ. They need help. They don't need the wagging, accusing finger. They need help. Guys, you need help. I need help in this whole journey. But, but these guys just love to set these high standards. And then they just, they just watch and accuse as people stumble and fall and, and show that they can't do it on their own because they can't, they need you. Okay, let's, let's look at this next one. This next one sweeps quite a few verses, verse 47. Um, this, this, I'm just gonna tell you what it is before I read it so you're looking for it. It's an unwillingness to hear godly rebuke, okay? If you're really a hypocrite, if you're going down that road, it's an unwillingness to hear, to receive Godly rebuke, like you it's your job to tell people and God's going to say, it's your job to actually listen and to hear rebuke. So here's what he says. Woe to you, you blind, or you, no, sorry. You build tombs for the prophets and your father's killed them. Therefore, your witness is that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they kill them and you build the monuments. It's like you're just in cahoots. You just keep going with this. These prophets are being sent to you. Because of this, the wisdom of God said, I'll send them prophets. I'm going to send them apostles. Some of them they'll kill and persecute. So that this generation may be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible. They're unwilling to hear the people that God keeps sending them. To say, no, 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 don't go that way. No, no, no. I'm going to send you prophets. I'm going to send you teachers. I'm going to send you apostles. I'm going to send you people who would pull you back from your Pharisaic ways. But you just will silence them. You're going to put your hand over your ears. I don't want to hear them. Ultimately, they will do, you know, the full-on silencing by killing them. As, by the way, they will do to Jesus, right? Enough. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear you challenge me. I'm going to silence you. That's what they've done. <clears throat> Hypocrites tend, you guys, to surround themselves only with those who affirm them. You know you're way down the path of hypocrisy. If you just form like an echo chamber, you just, you just get people that repeat your words. You're never challenged. You just say the same things but to each other. You're never, you're never willing to just receive, rebuke, and challenge, and change because they themselves are the standards. They're the arbiters. You don't tell me, I tell you, right? One of the commentaries that I read said, kind of their motto that they they ran with is, the only good prophet is a dead prophet to these guys, (laughs) right? Yeah, I'm, I'm not taking that. You're not telling me, I'm the one that tells people. So just this resistance to hear correction. And then the last one, Verse 52, woe to you experts in the law. You have taken away the key to knowledge. You didn't go in yourselves and you hindered those who were trying to go in. Taken away the key to knowledge. It's like they had everything they needed to know God. They themselves, right? They knew the, the book. They knew the Bible better than anybody. They themselves had the key. They got it. Not only did they not go in and experience the flourishing life of God, it's like they locked that door and didn't let anybody else go in either. So much potential, so much that they could have, could have given to, to help others. Instead, they became obstacles. People pounding on that door to get in obstacles, tr- locking it, could have used their key to open doors. Instead, they locked the door and threw away the key. And, and that's, that, that's like the thing that's probably just really riling Jesus up is you guys knew the book better than anybody. Why couldn't you have helped people? Instead of constantly just sitting in judgment, why couldn't you have helped them? Okay, here's where we get the plot twist that I was referring to earlier. Okay, so so verse 53 is as as we would have expected. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him fiercely. You can imagine, right? You guys. So now these two tribes, scribes and Pharisees, they unite together. And they began to oppose him fiercely, to cross-examine him. You're going to see that a lot as you continue to turn the pages of Luke coming in and trying to trick him about many things. They were in lying and wait to trap him in something that he said. Okay, so that we expected. If Even a cursory reading of the, of the Gospels will tell you, yeah, the Pharisees are going to go after Jesus. The scribes are going to go after Jesus, try to trick him. So that part, ending the chapter, yep, saw that coming. Yep, they're super offended. They want to silence him like they have every other prophet throughout the generations. Yeah, I get it. But, but Rob actually pulled a fast one on me and assigned not just the end, pretty nice little chapter break there at the end of chapter. No, he said, no, you're supposed to teach through the first part of chapter 12. This is, this is the plot twist. This is what he didn't see coming. Check this out. Meanwhile, it's really an unfortunate chapter break because meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together, right? They want to get close to Jesus. They're loving this stuff. They're they're just coming in to talk to Jesus so that they were trampling on one another. And he began to say to his disciples first. Oh man, you guys, I underlined that and then circled the word first. Here they all come and now he turns and said to his disciples first, Be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Because there's nothing covered that won't be uncovered. There's nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark, it will be heard in the light. Whatever you've whispered in an inner private room, it's going to be proclaimed on the housetops. Here's what I didn't see coming, and God has just torn into my soul with this. This story isn't put in the Gospel of Luke to get me to wag my accusing finger at all those Pharisees out there. It's to get me to look in the mirror. That's why it's there. You, you get the idea that Jesus had that whole dialogue with the Pharisees, certainly wanted to communicate what he did to them. He's calling them to a, a level of repentance. He's trying to expose them. But, but the greater audience there was for Peter and James and John and Jeff and Teresa and Rob and Lisa and all of you guys. Because guys, we are not better than the Pharisees. We're not. And all of a sudden his disciples are getting caught up in the, the thousands are coming. They're flocking to Jesus. And now you're standing there like, Sweet, check this out, right? Like, look at people just—they're coming our way, and you're you're feeling great about life, right? And and Jesus at that moment, just so I just want you to even—you have to set yourself in this scene, okay? Just try to imagine this played out like in cinema or something. So you've got Jesus and you've got the throngs, and you got Peter, James, and John. Like even during the encounter at the end of chapter eleven, just imagine being Peter or James back there. Like that's right. You go tell him Jesus. You know, just like constantly, like you're behind Jesus. He's going after the Pharisees and you're feeling all good. You're like patting each other like, yeah, so we're on the good side, right? It's, it's really exhilarating, right? It's, it's intoxicating to be in the in crowd and to be the ones just wag. That's right. Listen up, Pharisees. You know, you're back, safe behind Jesus. And then suddenly Jesus turns, right? And he's looking at you, but it's not with that same fire of indignation Like, lovingly, he looks into your eyes. He's like, guys, be careful. Be so careful. Because that leaven of the Pharisees, it's really contagious. Like, you're not better than they are. (laughs) You're just as vulnerable (laughs) as they are. So, even that whole part about nothing hidden, that won't be made known, whispers are going to be made known. He's just trying to say, yeah, you you might be able to fool a lot of people. You're actually not fooling God at all. And, you know, he's like, "I, I just need you to know, yeah, there's a lot of people around that have no idea. God actually knows, and it will be exposed. But he says that to the disciples. So, I, I don't know if I've ever done this before, but I've got this journal that I've been keeping, and I just want, I, I guess I'm trying to say, this is how deeply this affected me. And I, want, I want to invite you into the journey of what I feel like um, God's doing in me. Um, kind of funny, somebody gave this to me. These just creative people at Raygun, Iowa City, all our creativity went into the name. <laughs> I was. Anyway, it's really snarky and I like that stuff. Anyway, that's my journal. Here's what I wrote. You know, it's fun to read the passage as if you're on Jesus' team, standing behind him, glaring accusingly at those guys. But the narrative takes a turn. At the chapter break, the crowds before adore Jesus and are trampling on one another to get close to him. And there you are, basking in the adoration and the attention, and suddenly Jesus turns to you, looks knowingly in your eyes and says, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And you want to say, wait, wait, me? No, I thought it was about those guys. I thought those were the bad guys. It's so easy to sit in the accuser's chair and look down on those guys. But you know what? They have their reward, and Jesus is not fooled. All the whispers in private rooms, they'll be disclosed. It's me that Jesus is having the conversation with. And then I just started praying. I'm like, Lord, I see your gaze. It's neither harsh nor accusing, it's penetrating, and it's true please, please continue to awaken me to my sins and my hypocrisy. Then, Lord, let me keep following you to the cross because that's where you will take all my exposed hypocrisy, all my hidden masquerade of lies, all my whispers from private rooms, and rather than lay the burden of self-inflicted guilt on me where it ought to go, you'll absorb it into yourself and then you'll look at me with eyes of love and tender compassion and die in my place. And when you rise again, you will call me to follow you, forgiven, free, and loved with an everlasting love. Guys, here's what I want for you as you encounter Jesus' teachings here is to not walk away burdened with guilt. That's what Pharisees do, right? What God wants to do is to keep your gaze continuing the journey of Jesus all the way to the cross and past the cross to the resurrection because he's like, oh, I absolutely see your hypocrisy. I absolutely see that you've got a mask that there's more going on inside than you're allowed to see outside. And that's why I'm going to the cross for you because I can call you out of that And, and you don't have to stay living behind masks anymore. And you know what? That cold indifference to the poor. Oh, I know how to warm your heart for the poor. That idea of of wanting others to believe something that's different than you. I know how to transform that. I know how to make you actually a truly transparent person. I can do that for you. It's on the other side of the cross. It's on the other side of the resurrection. I want to take care of you confessing that, believing that to be true about your heart, bringing that to me. I can remove that and bring a heart of flesh to you. I can bring you a heart of love, a, a heart of truth a heart of mercy and compassion where you're not going around in judgment. You feel like the most vulnerable person in the world. And so it's easy for you to help others find their way to Christ because you're constantly on the path going back to Christ. And so you're just inviting people to join you. So guys, that's what I want very much for God to do through this text into your hearts and souls. But I don't know where your starting point is. I don't don't know where you're at, but I know Jesus in the most mystical and supernatural way by His Holy Spirit can just personalize this kind of thing into every heart. And so that's what I'm praying happens. So let's pray together, guys. Will you, will you stand up with me, though? I'd love to close up everything and just, just give Jesus our full attention. And let's... Yeah, let's pray. So Jesus... Um, Your word is so, like, it's sometimes really scary to open your Bible. (laughs) It is, Jesus, because here I am. It's been so many years ago that you first encountered me. And I just feel like I'm having to learn some of these first things all over again. But, God, you are so kind and so merciful. You meet me first with a mirror to show me what's really going on. And then immediately you point me toward your love and compassion to the cross, to the resurrection. So Jesus, I, I know that every soul that walked in here has a whole different story, and I know that you are the God who can personalize your word to every single soul, and I pray you do that even as we sing, even as we worship you, God, that there would be reflection into our souls as we sincerely and truly come to you, ripping off whatever mask might still be in place, Lord, and just standing before you eager to receive because that's the kind of God you are. And we love you in Jesus' name, amen.